0: Welcome to the Bad Roman Podcast. On this show, we talk with veterans, community leaders, Christians, and non-Christians as we explore the entanglement of Christians with the state. The Bad Roman Project was created out of the firm belief that as Christians, we are called to follow Christ, not the state. Here is your host, Craig Hargis.
1: Hey folks, has the session been on your mind lately? This seems to be a hot topic every election cycle, and this past cycle is no different. Today, I'm excited to have a very dear friend of mine on the show. Mike Gaddy has spent a large portion of his life scouring the founding of America, and I couldn't think of a better person to have on to discuss this topic. He has adequately been described as a walking history book, and I consider him a mentor of mine. And he is largely responsible for my understanding of liberty, and for that, I'm forever grateful.
0: Right,
1: left, right. Mike, how are you doing today?
0: I'm doing very well, Craig. It's uh, awfully nice of you to have me on.
1: So, before we get started, why don't you uh, give us a little bit of background yourself, so people can be familiar with Mike Gaddy?
0: Well, uh, born and uh, reared in uh, the Appalachian Mountains of uh, Western North Carolina, Eastern Tennessee, and uh, went off, uh, joined the military, and uh, during the course of my military career, I was invited to work for a U.S. Government Intelligence Agency, and I did that for quite some time, and upon leaving that, I went to work for the American Foundation for Accountability of Prisoners of War and Missing in Action, spent some time with that. I have uh, spent quite a bit of time that I had uh, when I was in the Washington, D.C. area with the American Foundation and also with uh, uh, my uh, government assignments. I... uh, spent an awful lot of time in the National Archives and Library of Congress researching source documents. And during that time, I found that uh, an awful lot of what I had been taught over the years was just, in fact, wrong. And so for the past 30 plus years, I've spent a lot of time just uh, developing and uh, searching out uh, to find more answers for the incorrect history we've been taught during our lifetime.
1: Now, did you find yourself during during that time becoming completely frustrated with everything going on, or did it just drive you more to to continue to learn more about it?
0: Well, the first thing, Craig, for me, was my disbelief. I did not want to believe what I was finding. I didn't like what I was seeing, and that uh, it went against everything I had been taught at uh, all levels of my education and uh, there was a big question in my mind was why have I been taught this? Why was I taught something that these uh, actual documents from that time frame tell me are not true? And so, yeah, there was a lot of frustration. And then, you know, I guess one of the biggest things that got to me, Craig, was I thought that once I had found these sources and found these actual truths that could be documented, I thought everyone would just be so happy to hear it and so happy to learn about it. And uh, uh, that, I think that was the big shock was the fact that, uh, you know, people uh, started running away from you like your, like their hair was on fire. Uh, <laughs> people are comfortable in their ignorance and they really don't want to know the truth.
1: I completely relate to that. I, Cause I remember when you and I first got connected in Arkansas and the first time I heard you speak, I had heard things come out of your mouth that i never heard before. I thought I had a pretty good hold on what was going on in this country. You know, I thought I I had, I understood what was going on, but, and the stuff that, one thing you always taught me was don't, don't take my word for it, go search it out yourself. And so I had to, I had to go look for it myself and and everything you were saying was completely true. And it was a total shock to me. It really, it really, it turned my whole view of the political world completely upside down. And after that first time, I, I think the first time I heard you speak was in Fort Smith. After that, I spent a lot of time burning up Arkansas highways just to follow you around. So I could try and soak up as much as I could. And I really appreciate what you did for me and what you've done for so many others in this. And you always talk about the remnant. There's a remnant out there that is, is wanting to hear this stuff. And that's who we're talking to. Are you still are you still traveling and, and teaching like you have been? or Are you strictly just sticking to your radio show?
0: Most of what I'm doing now, Craig, is uh, uh, either through the radio shows, uh, appearing on other people's radio shows, or uh, through my writings, or uh, in a couple of, and you're on one of them, and I know you don't have much time, but I've got a couple of uh, Facebook uh, places where I endeavor to treat people. I've done a few Zoom classes for people in Utah and other places, but uh, I, and I'm not doing it like I used to with the monthly meetings in different parts of. Uh, you know, I've I've done this in about seven different states over the years, and uh, just I'm not doing the personal stuff now. And basically, one of the things that shut that down in Fort Smith was uh, COVID back in February. My last meeting in uh, Fort Smith was in uh, February of uh, of 2020, and so of course that has been shut down from that angle. But uh, at least with this i get to do a lot more research
1: that's great yeah um, and you mentioned when you realized that people would run away w- from you with their hair on fire when they were hearing the stuff you're talking about i was surprised too because everything i was learning after i first met you i was the same way i was running out and i was telling people all about I, what i learned because i thought man this is the greatest thing this there's something called liberty that we can try to achieve and nobody wanted to hear it a very few people wanted to hear it now and we noticed that when we were having our, you know, our small group meetings in Arkansas, that it started off, you know, we had some decent uh, turnouts and then it kind of waned the further you get away from a political cycle or an election cycle. And that was very frustrating for me to watch that happen, because, like I said, there was there's so much out there that we need to know about our, our, the founding of what we're not being taught in public schools or just by mainstream media or whatever. Just, you know, they're not going to tell us that stuff one thing that i discovered about americans is they inc- we are, have a tendency to be incredibly lazy and want to be force fed something or fed something without trying to search it out on our own
0: well craig in the american mind in my opinion we have seen a separation and what happens now in so many areas is that people have separated in their minds learning from recreation and entertainment and they think of learning as something I've got to do uh, and I'm only going to do it long enough until I can finish so I can go be entertained either with sports or uh, television which I call the lobotomy box or something else so we don't do a lot of uh, education or being taught something is makes people uncomfortable they really uh, ex- I'm not speaking about everyone we of course we've talked about the remnant but you've got the people who don't want to learn anything. They really don't want to learn anything. They think they've been they were taught during school and why if I've been to school and I've been to college, why do I need to listen to you because you don't know anything? I know everything I need to know and please don't say anything that's going to make me uncomfortable because I want to be entertained. Now if you give people entertainment with this, in other words, if I can tickle their ears, then they are okay, but they don't want to hear the truth. They want something that keeps them comfortable. And unfortunately, uh, in American history, the things that keep the masses the most comfortable are blatant lies.
1: That's and it's a sad state. It's a sad state. And I talk about you quite a bit on on our show without mentioning your name because when people are familiar with, with our podcast, will. When I mentioned my mentor, a very dear friend of mine, you are who I'm talking about, the stuff that I've learned from you, and I'm so thankful for because it's really changed my view on a lot of things, and it led me down a path that I'm I'm glad. I'm a, When I say I get frustrated, I'm actually more at peace with myself now than I was when I was a card-carrying neocon, trying to support the state. But I still get frustrated with people. I'm not angry with them because I know they're in a spot that I used to be in, and I try to. Uh, I don't want to say I'm gonna use velvet gloves because I don't coddle people's feelings either but I do try to meet them where they're at. That's something we talk about. Meet them where they're at. Cause it's, we didn't get to where we are now because of something we, we don't coddle people's feelings, but we're going to tell them the truth. Something we do with this project is you're not, you may get mad at us, but we're not going to lie to you. We're going to tell you the truth. We're going to love you, but we're going to tell you the truth.
0: I think that's the proper attitude that you have to take. And uh, I know you remember because uh, you alluded to it, but uh I remember the first one you came to was, in fact, Ford Smith. I remember you sitting there and during any of my uh, presentations, I tried to observe people to see if they're hearing, if they want to hear, if they're interested or what have you. It's just something I've done since I started. And, uh, you know, I, I got used to those uh, looks of incredulity in the eyes of people like, uh, what is this guy saying? So that is one of the reasons that I started off my lessons or my classes with the admonition don't believe a damn thing I say look it up find out for yourself because I'm not up here to indoctrinate you. I'm here to teach you
1: and I think that's why it's it's received now I remember setting in some meetings I think the first one that we had for the Arcan Sons and Daughters for Liberty that we that we started I remember we, we had a decent turnout for that first one and I remember this guy he was just incredibly. <laughs> contentious with you and I was just kind of sitting there we were ha- we were having it at a restaurant I was sitting on the bar stool just kind of watching this happen and you just you just kept telling him things that he was not happy with but you weren't being mean to him about it you were just teaching him and then at the very end you said <laughs> you said does anybody have any more questions he goes so many <laughs> but we didn't have time and he got up and left but it was it was fun to watch and I was hooked like a starving catfish after that.
0: Well, he was. Uh, I remember him very uh, succinctly, and he was a retired uh, employee of uh, of a government agency. And I did not think for a minute I was going to penetrate that uh, armor of uh, state indoctrination.
1: But you planted a seed, and that's the that's the the goal. All right, so. I wanted to have you on to talk about secession, and because this is a hot topic, again, I keep seeing people talk about it on social media, and I I reached out to you to see if you would be interested in talking to us about it, because I figured you were the best one to tell us what you know. Let's start off with, is secession constitutional?
0: Well, uh, secession was not mentioned at the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia in 1789, but the people who were there were involved in an act of secession. And they were seceding from the Articles of Confederation and Perpetual Union. People forget that it had that name. So the people who formed the Constitution were involved in an act of secession. So I'm pretty sure they didn't want to mention it. And they also didn't want people to know exactly that they were seceding because they wanted to keep it secret for 50 years. And they wanted the proceedings kept secret so that no one could see from the outside that they were actually seceding from the government of the day. So they were forming an entirely new government or attempting to, uh, that was outside the parameters of the government they were involved in. And so they did not mention secession, and probably for good reason. uh, They didn't want to bring that discussion up, uh, because if they would have said secession was illegal, they would have... uh, doomed or deemed their own actions. And so they were not about to do that, I don't think. But I, if we want to get to where it's constitutional or not, we have to look at the three states that uh, sent in with their particular ratification agreements. And the central government accepted their ratification. And if you accept a ratification, you have created a contract. And three states, uh, New York, Rhode Island, and Virginia, included in their ratification agreements that if at any time the federal government overstepped its boundaries, they had the right to leave the union and seek their own form of government and happiness. That is a paraphrase of their uh, statement. So those three states said that. They either... Those three states are not part of the union, or they were accepted with that secession agreement. So if we look at that, then we have to go to Article 4, Section 2 of the Constitution, which said that each state has the same privileges and immunities of the other states. So if those three states had the right to secede, then all states have a right to secede constitutionally. So I know that's, uh, that's uh, going around the barn to, uh, to come in the front door, but that is the uh, basis of it. And we have to understand that this country was founded on secession. The Declaration of Independence is a document of secession from England or Great Britain.
1: Okay, that, that makes sense, though. I mean, and I, I guess I didn't really ever look at it that way with uh, those three states. I didn't know that was part of their, their agreement to the, the contract. So I don't know if we want to skip forward to uh, right before the Civil War when, all, when the South decided to secede. There was not – how many states were involved with that?
0: Well, uh, if I may, uh, let me jump back just a little bit. I think this will help because in 1800, uh, in a very contentious election and uh, something uh, you know we might know something about today, in a very contentious election in 1800, Thomas Jefferson and Aaron Burr were tied – uh, in electoral votes. And so the uh, vote went to the House of Representatives where it should go constitutionally and not to the Supreme Court. 2000 was a gross usurpation of the Constitution by the Supreme Court. But it went to the House of Representatives. And once you go to the House of Representatives, each state has one vote. All of their delegates vote, but it comes out to be from that state. But it uh, the winner gets one vote, and that's the state vote. So uh, that occurred in 1800. Uh, it went to the House of Representatives for 35 votes. On the 36th vote, some uh, electioneering deals were made. Jefferson ends up being president. Aaron Burr is vice president. And But in Jefferson's first inaugural address, after he was elected, several New England states said, OK, well, we're not going to live under Jefferson. We're not, we don't like him as president. So we're just going to leave the union. And so in his first inaugural address, and I think I sent that to you, uh, Craig, at one time, Jefferson said, well, uh, go if you must. And I'm paraphrasing. He said, go if you must, but uh, let's remain friends. So if you feel like you need to succeed, then, then go ahead and do that. But let's show how strong we are as a people that we can endure that act taking place. And that is not discussed very much in history at all. Uh, so I wanted to kind of throw that in there because I think that's very relevant to the uh, conversation. And uh, so uh, now do you want to jump to 1860? Is that correct?
1: Yeah. And I, I want to say something about that real quick. Whenever I started studying the, the Constitution, and I've I talked about this quite a bit on the show, but it was important for me to go back and understand what the founders meant going to the debates and understood what they meant by not not just reading the Constitution on its face. And if Thomas Jefferson had that mentality in his address, then you have to think that he understood that it was okay for a state to secede if they saw fit. I was listening uh, last night to Tom Woods. He had I know you're you're familiar with Brian McClanahan as well, but he had him on his show, and they were talking about secession. And they were talking about a, an article written by the Cato Institute or somebody, but they were kind of just breaking it down and. and Tearing it to shreds, actually, because he said that it's not legal for a state to secede. This was written in this article and they completely debunked it during this episode that they were talking on. That's why I think people tend to miss what the Civil War, they think that it was illegal for the South to secede, which it was completely in their rights to do so. And I Googled secession just playing around last night. And every time you used to read secession, and it's always mentioned in slavery. And they mentioned this on this episode that that completely ignores the 80 years prior all the way back to the convention in Philadelphia. Do you agree with that or?
0: Well, in some respects, um, and I know, uh, one of the best ways to uh, make a uh, secession negative is to correlate it with slavery. And, uh, you know, that we could get into a whole big bucket of beans on that one, but, uh, You know, when the South seceded in 1860, I want to jump back to 1830 in a second. But in 1860, when the South seceded, uh, they were standing on the Constitution. And slavery is despicable. It's immoral. It never should have been included in the Constitution in the beginning. In 1787, it was included for financial reasons. I promise you, the North was just as much involved in bringing slavery into the uh, Country in 1787, as was the South, because the majority of slaves were being shipped out of Rhode Island or Massachusetts. That's where the slave ships sailed from. So they wanted to stay with their what was making money with for them, and of course, the Southern states, especially Georgia and South Carolina, wanted to stay with slavery because they were using their slaves uh, for to produce an income. And as immoral as it was, it was included in the Constitution. It was codified into the Constitution. And uh, of course, they said there was only going to be extended for 20 years, but they did not say it would end in 20 years. And of course, it didn't. So uh, that the part of going back to the very beginning, I think we have to look at that. And we should look at uh, the people at the Constitutional Convention who did not want slavery included in the Constitution. And didn't want it at all. And that was uh, one was Luther Martin, the attorney general from the state of Maryland, who is the longest sitting attorney general in the history of this country, and also George Mason. But I thought that Luther Martin's explanation was, why are we including slavery into this document? Because it's a crime against heaven. And, And yet the other members who we are told were fine Christian folks, they included it anyway. So it doesn't make sense. And uh, and Luther Martin never owned a slave, and he fought uh, very strongly against slavery at the Constitutional Convention, but they accepted the three-fifths clause, and that was about money. It wasn't about people. And one of the Northern representatives, Ellsworth, uh, made the statement during the uh, Constitutional Convention. He said, well, if those Southerners get to count their Negroes, I get to count my cows, chickens, and horses. So it was a, it, it's not what we were taught. That's one of the things I wanted to mention. It was, it's not like we were taught. It was not a Southern thing. And we have to remember, and no one wants to talk about this, if you want to call something racist in this country, it's the Supreme Court. Because in 1857, the Supreme Court in Dred Scott v. Sanford codified slavery again. Even after the Constitution had codified it into the Constitution, the Supreme Court codified it into law in 1857 with Dred Scott. And they said he couldn't be free. And they said that uh, slaves could not vote and, you know, they, all of the other things. So in 1860, when the Southern states seceded, they were standing on a Supreme Court decision. No one ever mentions that. And they mentioned it in their secession uh, documents that they were standing on a constitutional ruling. But we can't talk about that because it doesn't fit the paradigm. And uh, I'm sorry, uh, Craig, we've kind of jumped the rails here about uh, exactly where we were going with secession. I hope I haven't jumped too far off base.
1: No, no, I love it. That's uh, I, I don't have any problem with that happening on the show whatsoever. We bounce around quite a bit anyway, and we always end up back to where we started at some point. So now, anything you want to talk about, I'm I'm all ears. And I think people are going to enjoy this conversation because it's... It's not something that people talk about these days anymore. But when secession is brought up, we are going to have to go back to, you know, what happened with the Civil War and what happened prior to the Civil War. And you said you want to go back to 1830.
0: Well, go back to the 1830s when we had a a huge uh, oratory battle. 1832, I believe it was, maybe 33. Don't hold me to the exact date. But we had a huge oratory battle battle, which I wish we had today, uh, but we don't have any uh, politicians with the uh, in IQ to do a, a great intellectual battle. But Daniel Webster, who was called the great expounder, uh, Daniel Webster was a senator from Massachusetts, and he said that uh, secession was illegal because they were discussing secession in the 1830s. And he said it was unconstitutional, and he said that no one can secede who has not acceded to the Constitution." Well, you know, he was a typical politician because there were, I found, 13 instances of quotes at the Constitutional Convention and afterwards during ratification where the people said the states acceded to the Constitution, including one from George Washington, uh, James Madison, Thomas Jefferson, many others that said that the states acceded to the Constitution well, here was the senator in 1830 saying they couldn't secede because they hadn't assented. Well, he was, uh, you know, just blowing smoke. He he was trying to push a point. And then, of all people, uh, a Supreme Court justice, Joseph Story, uh, picked, and he's uh, got a book that's used in all the law schools today called Commentaries on the Constitution, and he made exactly the same point. But one of the points they all made, which was totally wrong, was they said that the central government existed before the states. And that is the very argument that Abraham Lincoln clung to in 1861, when he uh, ordered the invasion of the South, and uh, in his first inaugural address, he made the same statement that the country, the central government, uh, existed before the states. Well, it's straight out garbage, Craig, because look, what does the uh, Treaty of Paris say? Uh, The the King of England, King George III, would not sign a treaty with the United States without it being an agreement from every state. All 13 states had to sign this treaty, or uh, King George wouldn't accept it. So that proves that the states were, in fact, in existence before the country was. That's the argument they used, and uh, people today uh, in uh, most of our Marxist-run colleges will make that same argument for Abraham Lincoln.
1: When you hear this a lot in today's uh, rhetoric too, because and, and I, I don't, can't count on both hands how many times when I've explained to people that the states have more authority than the central government or the federal government, and they look at you like you're an alien, they don't understand it. Like it just doesn't make any sense to them. They always, and this is why we're so involved in these national elections, which it shouldn't even matter who the president is. If you want any kind of change, you ought to be concentrated on who's representing you out of your state. Because they have more authority than that guy does, and it's and people don't, I don't know, I don't know where we went off the rails with them. To think that the central government existed before the states did doesn't make any sense. The states created them. How can the created be higher than the creator?
0: Well, read the seventh article of the Constitution, and that establishes without a doubt that these people who say that the central government existed before. The states, that uh, destroys that argument in itself if you just read the seventh uh, article, seven of the Constitution.
1: Hey, folks, Craig here, and I'd like to let y'all know we are always looking for writers to contribute to our blog. I don't care if you have any experience or not. Two or three of our contributors have no prior experience writing, and it turns out they have a real knack for it. Our project coordinator helps them put the articles together and she publishes them on our website and Facebook page. And you will also have the option to come on the show and go more in-depth about your article. So if you like what we're doing at The Bad Roman and would like to try your hand at writing, then send us an email at thebadromanpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. We're having a blast with this project and we would love for you to join us in helping promote it. Now back to the show.
0: Well, you were talking about the Southern states seceding. Do Where do we want to delve into that? At what level would you like to do that, Craig?
1: Um, wherever you want to go with it. I mean, this, I, you, this is your, your platform for the moment.
0: Well, the thing that everyone should think about, and it is actually easy to prove if you go to the Library of Congress and you look at the documents, in 1860, the Southern states were paying 80% of the, total revenue that was collected by the country. So the South was, most of the money that was collected was going to the North. The North was using it for internal improvements like railroads, and uh, uh, they were working on the railroads, they were working on highways, they were working on uh, canals, they were doing all kinds of works in the North, and the South was not getting any of this, yet the South was paying the majority of the tax load. So then along comes, before Abraham Lincoln was elected, the Congress passes the moral tariff, which increased the taxes on the South again by about 40%. Well, that is unconstitutional because the taxes are supposed to be the same in every state for all the people. That's actually listed in the wordage the verbiage of the Constitution. But these protectionist tariffs, what the South was doing, the South was selling its cotton and they were buying a lot of their everyday things that they needed, furniture, uh, other things. They were buying it from England and the manufacturers in the North were not happy with that because they wanted the South to be forced to buy their products. And the only way they could really do that was to place such a high tariff on the goods coming in from Europe. They made them so high that the South had to buy their products, which were usually inferior. And that is well documented throughout history of that time. So they were basically saying again to the South, "Well, we're going to raise your taxes again, and uh, you are going to pay even more now than you did before." Then you have Abraham Lincoln's the election of 1860 and not many people are aware of this at all but Abraham Lincoln was not even on the ballot. In ten southern states, so the South also felt upset was that they were that, that they were going to be ruled by a president they didn't even vote for or didn't even want to vote for in ten southern states, not even on the ballot. So Abraham Lincoln wins uh, with less than forty percent of the vote popular vote. so there was automatically a huge controversy, and Abraham Lincoln says in his first inaugural address that he intends to enforce the tariffs. He did say that he would not interfere with slavery because it was constitutional. Now, I'm sure you were about that. that in the fifth grade, but that's in the first inaugural address. He said he would not interfere with slavery in the states where it existed because he did not have a right to do so. So he was agreeing with the South that they were standing on the Constitution when they seceded. And there was very little mention of, there was a very small percentage of the people in the United States that were actually opposing slavery at that time. Of course, you had several Southern states that had abolished slavery, and that was most definitely to their credit. But you had a particular set of circumstances. In Indiana and Illinois, if you were a free Black, you could not live there. Now, they couldn't have slavery, but you could not live there. Except as if a as a free black, if you went into Illinois or Indiana, you had to pay a $1,000 bond to guarantee that you wouldn't get into trouble, that you wouldn't cause any dissension, that you wouldn't do anything. Well, $1,000 back then was a fortune. And there was no way in most circumstances that a free black was going to have $1,000. So, yes, they had abolished slavery, but they didn't want blacks living there. There's a huge difference, and that, that permeates the atmosphere of that time, too. So we were having the issues with new states being in, being allowed into the Union, and they were doing one slave, one, one free, one slave, one free, one slave, one free. They were doing the alternation that way. And this is something most people don't understand is one of the reasons that the North did not want slaves into the Western territories. It was not because they were good folks. They did not want the populations of those states, which were being created and brought into the Union, they did not want those southern states to gain a majority in the Congress and have more representatives than the North did. And it was a purely political fight in most instances. And I know that doesn't fit the narrative, but in fact, it is true. So we end up with. The South saying, OK, we're going to leave. So in December of 1860, South Carolina is the first one that votes to secede. And so very quickly, seven other states in a few matter of a few weeks joined South Carolina. So we have an issue going on. But before we get to that, I have to bring up the Corwin Amendment. Are you familiar with the Corwin Amendment? Uh,
1: I believe so. I, you're going to have to refresh my memory on it, though.
0: Okay. Lincoln saw that the Union could possibly disintegrate. Financially, the North could not allow that to happen because, remember, 80% of their revenue for the revenue for the entire country was coming out of the South, and the North could not allow that to happen. There were several newspaper articles in the early spring of 1861, before the Battle of First Manassas or Bull Run. There were several newspaper articles talking about their unemployment and the problems because the Southern states were saying, "Okay, bring your goods into Charleston, bring them into uh, you know South, anywhere in South Carolina, Florida, Georgia, bring them into Savannah, bring them into uh, you know the areas in Florida, bring your goods in there, and there's no tariff." So if you are a shipper out of England or any place else in Europe, and you are bringing goods into the United States do you want to bring them in where you pay no tariff or do you want to bring them in where you pay a 40% tariff? Well,
1: that's a no brainer.
0: So the North in their papers in New York and Chicago had already said, if if this continues for a year, we'll be broke. We'll have nothing. So they couldn't allow that to happen. So you got the big farce that was uh, Fort Sumter and people say, well, you know, those, those Confederates, they fired on the Yankees first. Well, you know, That uh, is a misnomer. If you really know history, yes, they fired on uh, Fort Sumter, but you have to remember that uh, Major Anderson had taken his men from Fort Moultrie, where they were allowed to be, and gone under the darkness of night in boats, and they were all dressed as civilians, which is subversive and an act of war, and had transferred from Fort Moultrie to Fort Sumter. Now, you're not going to be taught about that in school either, but let's get back to the Corwin Amendment they saw that this was coming. Lincoln did not want the Southern states to leave. And so he came up with the Corwin Amendment. And what the Corwin Amendment did was it, if it had passed and it had already been sent to the states for ratification, and the Corwin Amendment would have made slavery legal in perpetuity in the United States and outside of the control of Congress. So it would have been a permanent law that slavery would have been there forever. So when people tell you that the South seceded to protect slavery, uh, that would be totally incorrect, because if the South had wanted to continue and hold their slaves, all they had to do was to drop their secession, come back into the Union, sign the Corwin Amendment, and they would have had slavery in perpetuity outside of any control of Congress. And Abraham Lincoln mentions that in his first inaugural address. He said, I believe there is an amendment before, and he said, which I have not seen, which was a uh, lie. And that can be proved in the National Archives as well. But he said he hadn't seen that amendment, but he had. And there's even some proof now that he was involved in the fabrication of that amendment to allow slavery forever. So the South did not secede because of slavery. They mentioned it in their secession documents because it was constitutional. And I have brought up in some of my classes the paradigm uh, of today, Craig, what if a group of states said, "Okay, well, we think that Roe v. Wade is totally unconstitutional. No one should be allowed to kill children in the womb. So we're going to secede. But then the other states would say, hey, we're standing on the Constitution. You can't do that. There are parallels in that time frame. So those eight states had seceded and then you have Fort Sumter which occurs and there's documented evidence in the archives in the Library of Congress that Lincoln had already uh, sent warships to blockade southern ports and that the blockading of southern port is an act of war so uh to say that the south initiated the war is incorrect so you have that occurring and then shortly after that happens on April the 12th well on April the 15th Lincoln sends an order to all of the states left in the Union to provide troops to invade the South. Well, there were three states which had voted against secession, Virginia, North Carolina, no, four states, Virginia, North Carolina, Tennessee, and Arkansas, had all voted against secession and said, no, we will not secede. Lincoln sends them an order and tells them to provide troops to invade the other southern states. And those four states promptly seceded with the governor of uh, Virginia sending a very scalding letter to Lincoln in which he said, you know, uh, we will not provide troops uh, to invade our sister states because that is completely unconstitutional. So there's a lot of dynamics here, Craig, that most people are completely uh, unfamiliar with. Yes, (laughs)
1: Yes, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff there that I didn't even know myself. Do you have anything else you want to add with that without getting into the Civil War?
0: No. Uh, you know, we uh, also, I, I one other thing I should have added, and I uh, beg your pardon for this, but in 1811, 1812, there were several uh, northeastern states, again, that were upset with the government, uh, especially of uh, James Monroe, I believe it was at the time, or James Madison, I'm sorry. And uh, they were very upset with what was happening with the War of 1812. And uh, so they had a convention in Hartford, Connecticut, and it's, uh, it was called the uh, Hartford. And they got together. They were going to secede from the United States and go back to England. Then Andrew Jackson has a resounding victory in the Battle of New Orleans. The War of 1812 is over. So the Hartford Convention withdraws their motion to secede from the United States so the south was not the first was not the first to want to secede and if we wanted to get into a very deep detail i'm not sure how much you want to do this but immediately prior to the constitution there were several states uh, north carolina being one of them and uh georgia at some point of course you have to remember the geography at the time virginia went all the way to the uh mississippi river and included Virginia and Kentucky, and you had also at the time you had uh, North Carolina went all the way to the uh, Mississippi River. It was North Carolina and Tennessee, and uh, Georgia went all the way to the Mississippi because it was Georgia, Alabama, and Mississippi. So uh, we had states there who actually threatened to secede right before the Constitutional Convention of 1787 and join with Spain. So secession is peppered throughout United States history. It's suppressed, like you said, Craig, because if you Google it, you're going to hit, if you hit, uh, uh, you might as well go ahead and Google slavery, because if you Google secession, you're going to hit slavery.
1: Immediately. I don't know why I was surprised, but I was surprised that everything that popped up is a mention of slavery. Okay, I want to talk to you about something currently going on. You, you had mentioned to me in, in private conversation about something going on in Colorado right now. And it's an example of secession that I think they're trying to secede from a county or the county's trying to secede. One I can't remember how you put it, but I want to talk about that because there's whenever I mentioned to folks that we're going to do this this episode, that was one question that came up. There was a couple of questions that came up, but that was one of them. Is there something that we can... That, that's going on right now that we can point to as far as secession. And you mentioned what, something going on in Colorado. Do you want to speak to that?
0: Right. Uh, there's a county in northern Colorado called Weld County, W-E-L-D. And Weld County is very upset. Weld County is a blue-collar county. Uh, the people there are very upset with the state governor, uh, with all of his shutdowns and masks and all of his other stuff that he's come up with. And, of course, he's a uh, he's so far to the left, his car won't turn right <laughs> so, uh, there. Uh, the state is very upset with them. I mean, the county of Weld, And so they want to secede. And they had an election that, you know, that wasn't contested. Uh, and they have new county commissioners. And they are very serious about seceding from the state of Colorado. Which brought me back to remembering back around 2010. At one time, there were 20 counties in Colorado, especially on the Western Slope, that had threatened to secede from the state back then because of very, very similar circumstances. Because a lot of uh, Colorado, like a lot of other places, is rural. And those people are usually what we would term conservative folks. So they are ruled by the population centered around Boulder and Denver, and they don't like it. They're controlled by that, but they're outvoted. And if you go into the rural counties of uh, Colorado, you'll see uh, the great majority of people are what we would call good conservative people. So there's that that is a huge issue.
1: How do you see that playing out? I mean, is it going to be something where the governor of Colorado is going to try and stop it like Lincoln did with the South or... Do you think it would get that far?
0: Oh, I am absolutely sure that the governor is going to do something if it begins to gain enough ground. But uh, Well County is standing on precedent in Colorado. And a lot of people are not familiar with the fact that Brookfield actually seceded from Denver County and became its own county. So they are looking at that precedent and using that in their language. So it's going to be interesting, Craig, how this develops.
1: Do you think now, what would that look like, though? Would they, would, if seceding from the state of Colorado, would they become their own state? Would they join another state, or would they just be independent by themselves?
0: Well, what I have heard so far with the information I have, and there's only been this one meeting to my knowledge, what they really want to do is to secede and become part of Wyoming. Of course, considering the oil and gas resources in Weld County, I can pretty well assure you the governor is not going to sit still and let that happen.
1: That's very interesting to me. I'm very I, keep me updated on that because I'm really interested in how that plays out. That's that would be fun to watch for me personally.
0: <laughs> oh, for sure. I'll I'll keep you updated as uh, uh, I'm fortunate as uh, my son lives in Weld County and he is attending the meetings because he's very much interested in it and. He uh, has asked me for uh, some uh, history and what I have on secession as well. So I'm, I'm keeping in touch with him, and uh, we'll let you know how those things work out.
1: Great. All right. So before I let you go, i got one more question. It was a question that was brought up to me when I mentioned doing this episode. And, and it, it's something that it's a question that Christians are having when it comes to secession. We saw what happened with, when the South seceded. But is there a peaceful path to secession where there's not does not include any type of war? Do you see that happening or is it something that is going to have to involve a war if it ever came to that? Because as pacifists, as Christians that are pacifists, it's, that's not something they're going to advocate for. So it's something that was reason the, the, the question came up.
0: Well, as I see it, Craig, uh, the whether it would be peaceful or not depends on who you are seceding from. If we had someone like Thomas Jefferson, who in 1801 said in his first inaugural address, go if you must, but let's remain friends and let's let this occur to prove the strength of our relationship. That would have been a peaceful separation. And I believe that uh, would be an example of such. But of course, uh, where there's money involved, And that's what I keep telling my son about wells with all of their uh, oil and natural gas resources up there. I do not see this uh, coming off peacefully in any way, shape, form or fashion.
1: Interesting. I'm interested to see how that plays out, like the governor tried to send in state police or and how the county sheriffs would respond to that. You know, I don't I don't know if, if I'm just if if I'm overthinking it, but it would be interesting to see how that would play out. I think when you when we were talking about the peaceful path, and I think you might you, you're right. It depends on who you're trying to secede from. And I think if it was, if it was Donald Trump who was in office, or even Joe Biden, whoever whoever I don't care who's in there, it doesn't make me any uh, hell of beans. But I don't think either one of them would go for it. And I think it would if you saw how Donald Trump used federal agents to go into other states to enforce whatever rule he thought he needed to enforce. And I think the same thing would happen now with Biden. Now. With nullification, do you see nullification as something that is a form of secession, or is it something that could lead to secession at some point?
0: Well, when it comes to nullification, and I, I love Tom Woods' book on nullification, uh, but when it comes to nullification, stop and think of something very, very simple. If you are in something where you cannot say no, you are not sovereign. You have no sovereignty over your own body or your own decisions, uh, and if you can't say no i do not go along with this then you are not free it's real simple and i know it's hard for most people to understand well the government should have the right to tell me this tell me that no not really that that's just you know to me is uh, where we get all caught up in the stuff we should be somewhere else with but uh no if you can't say no if you can't nullify then you are a slave it's real simple
1: exactly i, I totally agree but I'll leave it at that. I want to give you the opportunity to plug anything you want. I know you have a radio show that I've got to listen to once and I'm hoping to listen to again in the future, but if you'd like to plug that or a website or anything, feel free.
0: Well, I have a website for anyone who would be interested in reading some of my works, uh, and those uh, encompass about uh, 10, 15 years of writing. And you can find that at www.rebelmadman.com. And, uh, my program is on uh, Sunday evenings at six, beginning at 6 p.m. Eastern time, and uh, that program is uh, addicted to your own destruction. And I'm on uh, for two hours from 6 p.m. until 8 p.m. I've had some most interesting guests. I had one, my good friend uh, Daryl Wayne, who is a—that's uh, not his full name. But uh, Daryl is a retired commercial airline pilot and airline pilot instructor. And he was the man behind the controls of the first plane allowed to fly into New York City after 9-11. And uh, we went into some very interesting discussions about uh, airplanes and buildings in 9-11. So uh, and then other times we go into constitutional issues. And we've also been talking about meeting in Estes Park in Colorado in uh, 1987, which created the World Conservancy Bank, which put uh, 30% of the land on this planet into a bank as uh, a uh, collateral for everybody's loans. And most people are totally unaware of that. So we cover some interesting subjects, Greg.
1: Man, I appreciate you doing this. I've I've been wanting to talk to you for quite some time. and. I like that we're able to keep in touch when when work allows and keep doing what you're doing. And Hopefully, I can have you back on and we'll talk about something else because you have a wealth of knowledge that that I I hope people listening to this will latch on and and maybe reach out to you and and seek out some of your writings. They're fantastic, and you're going to learn some things that you were never taught, I promise you, and you'll be a better person for it. Mike, I appreciate it, man. I'm going to let you go and let you get back to your day.
0: All right. Thank you, Craig. You have a wonderful day, my friend. All right, buddy. Thanks for joining us this week on The Bad Roman Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcasts to never miss an episode. And while you're at it, if you like what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, it really helps people find us. 100% of donations are given to local charities in Memphis, Tennessee. To learn more about The Bad Roman Project and to find show notes, please visit TheBadRoman.com.